Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have, as usual, on the line, my co-host, Chris Sheridan. What's up, Chris? Everything's up. All good. Looking forward to this one today. (laughs) Everything's up, including the sky, is, is what's happening here. So today we are talking about the reconciliation of the opposites. So it's a pretty big topic. It's a broad topic. So I'm going to be occasionally looking down at my notes because I haven't transferred my notes to something on screen that I can look at. That's my fault. I apologize for that. But I want to stay on track because it is such a big subject, the opposites. Um, You know, we could go all over the place. So I want to make sure we kind of stay in a little a little format so that we can share all the ideas that that we want to. Uh, Thank you for listening. We're here every week on Sunday with a new show. And now we have... uh, our video, thanks to Chris and his uh, push towards towards doing this. And I thank you for that, Chris. Um, we're available on YouTube. Um, I get those up on on Sun, excuse me, on uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, depending on when we get the video done. So the podcast goes up on Sunday, and then the video for that particular Sunday podcast goes up uh, a day or two later. Uh, so those are available on the on the Cosmic Eye site. There's links to that uh, on CosmicEye.org or on the Anchor.fm/CosmicEye. Uh, site you can uh, you can see the links in there so reconciliation of the opposites reconciliation of the opposites oh before we get into that um actually thank you for uh for everyone who supports the show um we really appreciate your financial support and anyone who can who gets good value out of this show and wants to share with other people and see us uh reach out in a in a greater way uh, please do support the show. That is at uh, anchor.fm uh, slash cosmic eye. And you can go to uh, support the show. There's a there's a button for that. And then you can make a monthly donation if you wish to do so. I'm going to be starting up a Patreon account soon as well. I always I don't know how to say that Patreon or patron. I have no idea. It's, everyone knows that. I think it's I Patreon. I can't spell it. So I, I can't even spell it, let alone say it. So but uh, I'll have the information for that soon once we have it up. All right. Let us get into this. So what are the opposites? Chris, let me, you know, since I've just been talking away, why don't you start with the frame the problem? What are the opposites and why do we need to reconcile? Actually, we won't even get into why we need to reconcile them. But what are the opposites? What's our issues here? Okay. well, there are opposing forces. There are opposing principles. uh, And I guess I can start out with saying like the Tao. There's the yin and the yang have male and female dark and light, up and down, left and right, uh, broken and solid, uh, receptive and um, generative. They are really forces of nature. And the big one we have is night and day, which is kind of uh, an example of how we look at opposites, because we even use that uh, in our everyday language. Oh, there is opposite as night and day. Uh, They're just completely different. But in a 24-hour cycle, which is every day, there are equal amounts of night and day. You can't have one without the other. So we use that as being diametrically opposed or mutually exclusive uh, in the West especially. Uh, but in the East, with Taoism and uh, Buddhism and more unity consciousness, uh, a little more clear in Taoism, it's very specific with yin and yang, 
Well, actually, let me yeah. stop you. Let's let's get into that later. Okay, sure. Because that's going to be more in the solution portion of things. But let's frame the the problem. Well, the problem the is that I think that right the, now. the way the West and modernity, I guess, uh, nowadays times, um, often looks at opposing ideas or opposing structures uh, as being one versus the other where one side doesn't yeah. see the other side. And that creates a host of problems. Uh, it, we have this two-party system in the American political arena. Uh, there are other parties, of course, but really by the two viable. And it's really set up with conflict. And in war and in sports, you know, generally it gets down to two teams and one has to win over the other. But war and sporting matches are, are kind of artificial things uh, in society, they are constructs. Uh, what we need to see with ideas and everything else is that they are not only connected, um, but they are in some ways two sides of the same coin. And instead of having a conflict against each other, uh, look for the harmony uh, that connects and the complementary nature instead of contradictory. That's, I think, the real problem with... Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, that's great. And again, we're going to talk about that uh, later on when we get into this, the solution area. But just framing the problem, I guess, is, is important because I want people to kind of think about, you know, how this plays out in our, in our daily lives, this problem, the opposites. And, I, and, and you, you made good, good points there uh, in the two-party system and so on. I think uh, some of the other uh, sort of dichotomies that we, that we struggle with today are, you know, the ideas of capitalism versus communism or socialism. You get the ideas of, you know, a sort of feminism versus the, the patriarchy. Um, you get these very sort of polarized views. Uh, and then it seems that there's, like you said, a battle, which is an artificial construct in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, one of the challenges then with that is that we get stuck in one way or the other. It's, it's, it's an either or proposition, which leaves out a lot of, of varying degrees. And that's the really the challenge with polarity or dichotomy or duality in essence is that it becomes a battle. Life then is a battle. And I think that's one of the main, the main issues and the problems with this. And uh, and it's talked about a lot in Europe as well, but one of the main sort of ideological battles that goes on today is that between uh, the scientific materialist worldview and what might be called a spiritual or religious worldview. Of course, science being interested in, in, in truth, quote unquote, uh, discovering uh, the, the hidden uh, truths behind uh, material existence, um, mostly concerning itself with technological advances, medicine, uh, et cetera. But, um, you know, it, it has become a worldview now that is sometimes often uh, characterized as, as a scientism. So that it says, you know, there really is no ultimate value to life. There is only sort of this digging into this matter and, and investigating physical life to, to the utmost to discover its quote unquote, the secrets of nature but they're, they're not really thought of as having, having meaning in the sort of scientific materialist worldview. And then so, so that the, the opposite side of that would be, would be religion, which says, of course, that the world was created by a benevolent being or a non-benevolent being, whichever, you know, there's various interpretations in religious uh, systems. But generally speaking, there's a, there's a sort of a spiritual 
a cause to the material universe. Thus, there's there's sort of a meaning and an inherent structure to it, things that need and ought to be followed, uh, rules, principles, archetypal uh, sort of constructs upon which we should and ought to live our lives. So that's, that's religion is concerned with, with meaning and value, whereas science is concerned with quote unquote truth. And that's truth with a capital, with, excuse me, with a lower, a lower T in a sense. It's like the sort of material truth, not to, to denigrate it, but it's, it's not concerned with an ultimate truth because it doesn't even posit that there is one. So those are the two worldviews that smack up against each other. And actually, I want to read something really quick from, uh, from this book. Uh, and I'm covering the name. It's Ken Wilber's uh, Marriage of Sense and Soul. And he's got a great uh, little quote uh, concerning that. So he says, there's arguably no more important and pressing topic than the relation of science and religion in the modern world. Science is clearly one of the most profound methods that humans have yet devised for discovering truth, while religion remains the single greatest force uh, for generating meaning. Truth and meaning, science and religion, but we still cannot figure out how to get the two of them together in a fashion that both find acceptable. And that is really the, the, the topic of this, this book in a nutshell. It's an excellent book, and, and it, it goes into many arguments in the history of, of uh, modernism, postmodernism, science, scientific worldview, and so on, uh, versus the sort of pre-modern, uh, sort of archaic and myth, myth, mythological worldview uh, of, of pre-modern man. So... All right, so framing that, framing the problem, we've just we've we've talked about the problem. Let's talk about a little bit about the history. We're not going to get uh, too too deep in this, but a little bit of the history of, of how we got here. We talked a little bit about this um, before the show, uh, in our in our sort of pregame that we do before the show, um, and I'll I'll let you talk a little bit more in a, in a second. I just want to frame this. Um, so it's really difficult to tell when exactly this sort of idea arose in, in, in the human being, the idea of the, the, the sort of duality of life between, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure people saw things, you know, as consciousness arose and we began to, to think or see or experience, you know, you see, see dichotomies between life and death. You notice uh, the difference between male and female, and you see that there's somewhat opposites, seeming opposites in your, in your viewpoint. Um, you know, and you then I think as consciousness grows and 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 ideas sort of morph, then you begin to have uh, analogies and more abstract ideas that you kind of, you know, are able to extrapolate from those ideas and, and, and sort of project onto the outside world, as it were, you know, ideas of good, bad, uh, ideas of, of positive and negative us and them, you know, other other groups, tribal groups, or, you know, culture groups, there's the in group and the out group. And then we begin to see, of course, the ideas inside and outside and so forth. And all that is an outgrowth, I think, of observation, just as much sort of natural observation and consciousness that grows into, you know, more sophisticated and abstract worldviews, right? So um, do you have anything to add to that? I kind of wanted to just frame that, that sort of yeah pre-modern sort of idea right well that is um it's a good way to frame it and what you had said before about uh you know, the conflict the big one uh from willer between uh religion and science and science and religion uh, if we're looking at these external structures you know the scientific and the uh the spiritual uh there's also a corollary inside uh, because like science you know we all have a rational side very 
seeing what's in front of us and if this works, this makes me feel good, this doesn't. Um, it's very scientific, so that's part of our psyche as well as a more meaning-based. And so this conflict in the outer world between religious and scientific institutions um, is also going on inside of us too. So um, yes, we early on see, you know, me, not me, um, this I like, this I don't like, this berry will make me sick, this one won't, and you have to pass down that knowledge because we, it's, it's in our structure as a human, really most earth creatures need the contrast. Uh, some animals can sense only motion, uh, but it's motion against static. Uh, this difference, we need figure and ground if it's in artwork or a, a sign you're painting, you don't want to put green letters on a green background, you won't be able to read it. They need to be, uh, there needs to be this contrast, what's me and what's not me in, in a picture frame. So that sets up, I think, uh, really the seriousness with dealing this reconciliation of the opposites because it's going on inside of us all the time. Influenced. That's a great yeah. point. That's a great point. You know, and, and one thing I want to add to that when you're talking about that, uh, speaking of, of Wilbur, he spoke about uh, two, two different ways this occurs. One is in a way, a positive way, which he calls the sort of dignity of modernity where there's a differentiation between these different spheres. There's a differentiation between religion and a differentiation between science that had not existed prior to the Enlightenment, right? But what has happened today is that there's a dissociation now between those two things. There's a difference between differentiation and dissociation. The differentiation implies that there's an integration possible where a dissociation is something that has been completely dissociated or, or, or shoved into some, some corner or some shadow part of ourselves uh, to where we pretend it's not there anymore. We almost cut it off as if it doesn't exist any longer. And that's, that's, that's dangerous. And that's where I think a lot of these, these, uh, these challenges where, where science and religion are butting up against each other um, and these different ideological stances, uh, identity politics and, you know, gender issues and all these different battles we find butting up against each other are in that sort of dissociated sort of mindset. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. And that's a great word that you, a term that you've used. And thanks for clarifying it to, you know, to disassociate, um, is you're right. It doesn't allow for. Well, thank Ken. Oh, okay. Well, not well me. you brought it up. So <laughs> thanks for uh, yeah. Okay. For mentioning <laughs> it, but but it's it, you know differences are important. Differences are necessary. Um, what's you know we talk a lot about comparative philosophy, comparative religion, and uh, ideas, and trying to find a single story within you know the the monomyth within all the thousand myths. Uh, but the differences are important too because they can lead us to. Uh, different discoveries, even about our own side of, of the story by looking at, at other ones. Uh, but to disassociate is really to deny, um, not only around us as other people or cultures or ideas, um, but it's denying us the richness of seeing another side. Even if it may not be our primary opinion, uh, our opinion can get strengthened or weakened or it can evolve only really through a dynamic uh, at least investigation or observation of another side or another viewpoint. That's a great point. And I think that's where, uh, unfortunately, today you see 
in a lot of the arguments and in a lot of the conflicts that occur politically and socially and economically, um, you see this very polarized dualistic worldview at work. You particularly see it, and this is where the, the problem is, you particularly see it in the media and these simple-minded depictions of good and bad characters or these uh, sort of, how can I say this, these talking heads that come on to uh, talk shows and they basically make points, they're the most extreme viewpoints on either side. And then they just butt heads for several minutes and, and get heated and angry. And then, and then the host moves on to another subject. Um, nothing of value is said on either side for the most part. And generally speaking, it's just, you know, argumentative knee-jerk reactions and, and, and propaganda. And, and that's a very dangerous place to be because especially today, the world is more complicated, sophisticated, technologically advanced than ever before. It's more dangerous than ever before, even if we think it's not. And we are dumbing ourselves down, I, I would argue, uh, to these very simple-minded, ideological, dualistic arguments all of the time. And there's a massive amount of information missing. And we're going to get into some of the solutions later on. And there's a massive piece missing from this sort of paradox or this dual sort of battle. And I wanted to get really quickly just into a little bit of the history of kind of how I, I, I think we got here. I mean, it's at least in the West. One of the main influences, the early influences on, on Christianity and Judaism, of course, which our culture is mainly built on Judeo-Christian ideas and then Greek and, and Roman ideas and ideals sort of in a, in a mix. Um, you know, so most of it, our, our ideas come out of the ancient Near East and the, and the Mediterranean in the West. One of the major influences on both uh, Christianity, uh, Second, Second Temple Judaism, Islam, and probably Buddhism as well, is the ancient Persian religion of Zoroastrianism, which is over 3,000 years old. It was, it was probably founded sometime in around 1000 BCE by Zoroaster, who was an ancient uh, Persian uh, prophet. And it is one of the world's oldest religions still in practice today. It is still in practice today, uh, especially in, uh, in parts of India and parts of, uh, parts of Iran. There are not a lot of Zoroastrians, Zoroastrians uh, but they're, they're still around. And that's impressive. Uh, also, oh, also another main influence, uh, uh, on another, another main influence of Zoroastrianism was on Gnosticism. Gnosticism. So that duality, uh, the duality... In, in Zoroastrianism has really kind of found its way into these into these religions that that were the sort of founding ideas and founding mythologies of Western culture in essence and things were built on at least one strain of that uh, that that foundation um, and so the duality in in Zoroastrianism plays itself out in a battle between Ahura Mazda and let me get and Ariman or Angra Mainyu my ancient Persian is non-existent, so I did my best with that. Uh, that's the sort of destructive element. Ahura Mazda is the the, the light god, the, the creator god, and it, you know, some of the ideas shared uh, by all of the major religions of the West include uh, sort of an idea of of heaven and hell, except for Judaism, it really doesn't have that much of that in it. But the the idea of heaven and hell, 
the idea of a sort of eschatological ending of things where there's a battle between good and evil and good prevails. Um, the idea of this sort of constant battle between good and evil within and without in the, in the, in the world. These are all ideas that were probably brought in uh, through this Zoroastrian influence. So we're going way back, uh, but then, you know, we're going to jump forward to Christianity. Obviously Christianity eventually took root in, in Europe, in Rome, uh, Rome's influence spread, Christianity's ideals spread through it, these ideas of duality in Christianity. It plays out in sort of uh, the idea of God and the devil, um, God and Satan, and that sort of battle. And then I would, you know, and, and, and that sort of, that sort of um, theme. Uh, then this leads, as time goes on, Christianity sort of develops new schools of philosophy. You have the Renaissance, uh, sort of a, a, a form of humanism and a sort of uh, neo-pagan, neo-platonic influence comes into play. Out of that arises the uh, ideas which become the Enlightenment in the 18th century, the Enlightenment. And these were built on uh, ideas uh, generated by Bacon and Descartes. And then those fed into uh, Hume, uh, Voltaire, Rousseau, Diderot, etc., and basically laid the, the groundwork for for a split uh, between between science and religion. Science became free to explore as it would in its own domain, and religion was kind of left uh, to do its own thing. And then we find ourselves in this sort of postmodern world now where it's even rejecting the ideas of modernity and it's definitely questioning the ideas of the objective scientific worldview and so on. And it does it in a way where it basically says, since there are all these different subjective points of view and we are all these autonomous eyes observing objective reality and we all necessarily taint that by our culture and our gender and our biology and so on, that there is no possible objective truth. And so we're left in this sort of nihilistic uh, state. And that's a problem as well. So that, that is no solution to the problem. Postmodernism is no solution between the pre-modern argument or the religious argument and the modern argument or the scientific argument. Postmodernism, unfortunately, while well-meaning and certainly has some great ideas to it, I'm not dismissing it, but in its most extreme forms, it becomes very nihilistic and very relativistic, which it says essentially then there's no meaning to anything because there's all meaning and all meaning is equal. You can see the, the intellectual problem with that when you think about that, because when you say all ideas are equally valid, that is, a, that is an opinion, that is an idea, and you're preferencing that to other ideas. So there's an illogical problem with that with that argument at any rate uh we we find ourselves today then with this missing piece um so there's this this paradox there's this polarity or duality we we, we find ourselves in science religion good evil west versus the east you know uh liberal democracy versus extreme islam you know all of these dichotomies we find ourselves arguing about and, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a missing piece to this puzzle. There's a missing piece to this puzzle. So in order to find that missing piece to the puzzle, we're going to go back to ancient philosophy and start with Plato. We'll start with Plato. So one of Plato's main themes uh, in his philosophical stance were the ideas of the good 
the true and the beautiful. And actually, I'm going to hand that off to you to tell us a little bit about the good, the true and the beautiful. All right. Uh, actually, I'm not going to hand that off to you. <laughs> well, let me <laughs> just I'm jump in do... with um, okay, to, I'm to, to let maybe you comp- compliment a, uh, okay. uh, a point that you were making in this, you know, historical uh, lineage. Uh, I think very strong in in this modern era, going back to the Renaissance, and you mentioned Descartes, who uh, through the term Cartesian dualism uh, has taken the blame uh, that he split, uh, you know mind and body and spirit and matter and, you know, that it's all his fault. Uh, Yes, a term was built around his name. But if you listen to his most famous quote, uh, I think, therefore, I am between thought and being, the consciousness and, you know, physicality. I think, therefore, not I think and completely different subject, I am. It's that they're inextricably linked. But Part of the other reason why he took the blame for it is he, being a scientist, uh, as well as a philosopher and a mathematician, um, he was interested in human physiology and anatomy, and he was unable to do autopsies uh, or really uh, dig into, so to speak, uh, the human body uh, for studies because that was strictly forbidden um, by the church. Uh, at the time. So here it is right at this split or right where science is coming into its own and, you know, the most superstitious religion and uh, religious structures aren't able to sustain their idea because science is, is rising. He's sort of a fulcrum, kind of a, a midpoint. Uh, so what he, uh, I guess what he put forth is that uh, the consciousness uh, that once the body um, you know, or the being, I guess, in the body ha- has died, um, that the body is now a scientific thing. It's not, the soul is gone. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was his, that's how he was able to, that was his workaround, <laughs> literally, uh, for this scientific inquiry. But it became this thing that, well, mind and body are separated. Um, and that's been... Yeah, and I think, I, I completely agree with you. And that that whole idea that, that Descartes is to blame for for all of our sort of modern problems and this problem of duality is, is really not a, not a fair, fair argument. Um, and in general, you know, the early sort of modernists were, were much less extreme than, than today's science scientists and, and those who cling to the sort of scientific materialist worldview where they claim there is no meaning. Most of, uh, the early modernists were not, uh, in that in that camp per se, um, so you know this is something that's taken root I think over over time. Um, the other the other thing that's 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 challenging about it is is again like I said you know they, what they were doing and it was a valuable thing and, and uh, Wilbur talks of that as the dignity of modernity. This idea of of the differentiation of the different spheres of knowledge and essentially what happened during that time in the modern time is you know, the, the positive things that came out of just differentiation essentially between the ideas of art, uh, religion, and science. So, you know, they, they, they became their own separate realms, essentially, whereas before, in the pre-modern mind, everything was kind of glommed together. Uh, this differentiation, in turn, created these massive technological breakthroughs in medicine, and economics, and social structure, 
uh, it created democracy later on, you know, women's rights and feminism came out of that and sort of, uh, you know, the laws protecting the individual, all these are outgrowths of the, the modern, the modern sort of mindset out of enlightenment ideals. And those are all, all fantastic things. They allow us to investigate things in their own realms. Uh, really the, the argument then is, is like getting back to it is, is kind of, uh, what's what's missing between the duality, the polarized state of, of um, you know, the scientific idea on one hand, the religious idea on the other hand, getting back to Plato's good, uh, the true and the beautiful, the missing thing in that equation in our in our sense is, is then the, 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 the beautiful. So the good would be what I should do. It's the moral, the religious, the, you know, that that realm. Uh, the the true is the sort of scientific and even sort of philosophical digging into uh, into uh, archetypes and first first ideas and so on and the sort of base level of truth that's trying to be established and then the beautiful the reconciler between that would be the sort of aesthetic and philosophical and poetic uh, the world of art and theater and music is the sort of reconciler between those things. Uh, and that's that's what's missing today. That's one of the things that's missing today. Of course, the polarization is is problematic, but the missing factor really is the third element. I would argue, you know, it's the it's the beautiful, quote unquote, and um, you know, and then of course the the problem lies also in that dualistic idea where it becomes a battle uh, between the the true, which would be quote unquote science, and the the maybe the good. Or the the you know the the religious side of things, the sort of moral and and ethical responsibilities we have as human beings. The problem is that science says, well, those things can't really be established, and it's not really science's domain to even try to investigate those things. And that is the challenge. That is why this idea of duality is is it's nonsense. There's no battle between them. They're two completely different domains, and that's one of the valuable things that came out of modernity to begin with. So. Uh, getting into that, then we're going to get into the solution a little bit here. The solution, I, like I said, in my mind is to find that, that third way. It's that middle way. It's the middle way. So I'm going to give some examples of, of, of some of these in mythology. So there's the, the idea of Brahma, uh, the creator. That would be, I guess, the good, the good, more or less. Shiva was the destroyer. That's kind of the true. That's the sort of harsh reality of life. And then Vishnu is the reconciler between those two, the, the, the sort of preserver as it were. So what we're missing is the reconciler. We're missing the, 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 the preserver in, in our argument, in our duality. And that's the mindset we need to find ourselves in. I mean, and that's what Buddha uh, was talking about when he spoke of the middle way. Neither a, a, you know, a hedonistic lifestyle, nor a, a truly ascetic and, you know, a kind of um, painful existence, you know, based on mortification and rejection of the world entirely but a middle way a disciplined middle way and that's what i'm talking about that's the uh, that's the preserver that's the that's the reconciler uh that middle way so in alchemy you've got sulfur uh salt and mercury mercury is the reconciler between sulfur which is fire and salt which is more or less matter or it's congealed matter and then mercury quicksilver uh, is that sort of element between the two of those. In modern philosophy, of course, you have Hegel, you have the idea of the thesis, the antithesis, and then, then, then the synthesis between those two. So that's, the, that's where we've got to find ourselves. The solution lies in, in, the, 
in in the synthesis. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to you to talk on that a little bit because I'm gonna I'm gonna look for a couple of good quotes that I have. So please uh, feel feel free to to talk about the synthesis a little bit. I know you have some good ideas in that area. Oh sure, okay, thanks. And a great way of um, of describing that. I, I like that uh, from Plato. The way you you know I'm familiar a little bit with the concept, but the way you uh, contextualize it with our topic today. You know that we are missing the beautiful and. Um, with conflict between, you know, the the good and the true, the, the good and the true, or the the you know the guy with the white hat or the black hat, or you know my team versus your team, um, that's where the beautiful gets lost is in the conflict. So just by virtue of having these two pitted next to each other, uh, in that way, uh, they re- the beautiful doesn't really have much room to enter. But even if it's a sporting match. Um, and you step back a little bit. Okay, so the, what, the Boston Red Sox don't like the New York Yankees or something. That's a, a rivalry. I'm not really into baseball, but, uh, but it's one that's in the common, uh, at least the Western uh, mindset. Uh, but they both love baseball. Okay, they both love baseball so much, and they both love their home team. It's just a different home team, and they wear a different uniform, and that's really the the more contrived aspect of it. But the joy, the uh, the beautiful is is the love of baseball and support for one's home team. So, uh, but but it's hard to meet on that ground if you are having uh, a World Series or something. You know, you want your team to win, especially if you're betting money on it or something. I mean, it's it's very important, or you have civic pride in in bringing home the the trophy. Uh, but uh, and also, you're talking about the the Trinity with um, Brahma, Vishnu, and and Shiva, and I've also heard those described as the creator, the enjoyer and the destroyer of life that not only to sustain uh, the life and reconcile them, but it's all, that's where the enjoyment comes in, you know, between this creation and destruction and the destruction obviously is a transformative destruction that leads towards uh, new growth, new birth, new life, uh, but to enjoy it in between. And I think the joy um, gets lost in all these conflicts, uh, taking sides over something and um, in Taoism, you know, when you think of the middle way or in Buddhism, you know, that this it's neither left or right. Uh, and it's not also some sort of mushed in between like middle of the road music that, well, it's not too hard. Well, it's not too fast. It's not too loud. Well, it's not too mellow either. And then you just have this. It's not very exciting. <laughs> it's not very enjoyable uh, if it's all watered down and, and mushed in the middle. So when we're talking about the middle um, I like to think of it in a little more dynamic terms um, instead of being uh, that it's just you just kind of have this, you know, if you have black and white that you come together and you just have this, you know, mushy gray or you have fire and ice and you wind up with lukewarm water uh, because that's not very appealing. Um, but what you have is a dynamic interplay that it might move more towards this extreme, but not staying there. And then it comes back one yields to the next, like, again, the day and night. Um, cycle that one becomes the other the other becomes the one and that's how they are are connected and it's what you do in between um, that that's where you can find value and uh, then you're not subjected to extreme emotion because that's really how it plays in us Uh, we're so opinionated or then we defend our side and we resist the other side and we forget the old adage what you resist persists so by participating in this conflict, you're actually per, you're perpetuating it. 
uh, you're making it stronger and moving further away from that's a, the that's a great way to put it yeah no that's a great way to put it and it reminded me when you were talking about that of you know when joseph campbell you know talked about about saying yes to life you know people would ask him well how you know with all these opposites and all these different battles and so on can can one find a, a place in life and you know he would say well i mean you have to you have to jump in and and participate the the, the real issue though is is in is in the mindset and the in, intentionality and the spiritual sort of focus one one brings to 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 a situation um i think i'm reminded of um the bhagavad gita when arjuna is talking to to krishna and you know arjuna does not want to go into battle because it's against some of his his relatives but it's his duty to do quote unquote the right thing to go into this battle so you know what what krishna tells him is you you do you are you're in the game you do what you have to do you participate in those battles at times but you're above them in some way you're not attached to the outcome and you're trying to do the 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 right thing uh, according to the sort of structure and balance of, of of the universe and you let go of the attachment to the outcome and you allow you know the universe to kind of flow flow through you as you do those things and that's a kind of a, a reconciliation as well you know it reminds me also of the idea in um and they talk a lot about holding the opposites. So there's opposites, obviously, at work and everything. These things are real. It's not that they don't exist. And I like how you, you framed it. Like we don't want lukewarm water. We don't want a shade of gray all over, uh, all over the world. There are opposites, obviously. There are males and females. There is, you know, there is light and dark. There is night and day. There is, you know, winter and summer. These things are real. It's not that they don't exist. It's that we have to find a place where we don't over identify with one or the other and we find a balance point between the two and i think that's what like the scales of justice signify when we're holding up the scales they're balanced sure they're going to tip down sure they're going to tip up but eventually you know they find some sort of equilibrium there's an equilibration between the two you know and in 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 the greek aesthetic art ideals uh there's there's apollo the rational sort of godlike figure of light and, and rationality and order. And then there's Dionysus, this wild, crazy, orgiastic, poetic sort of, you know, in our modern world, maybe like a Jim Morrison type energy. Um, and, and the reconciler between those two is Hermes, the communicator, you know, the, the observer, the analyst, the magician, that's the reconciler between those two things. And that's that, that's that triangle again, this triangle. And so you have the opposites and the apex of the triangle then is the, is the tension between those two opposites. The, it's the equilibrium between those two opposites. So it's not that the opposites don't exist and it's not that you don't maybe wait to one side or the other in one way or the other, but it's that you find a place where you find balance and equilibrium between the two. And and like I said, in Jungian terms, that would be holding the opposite. So an example of holding the opposites might be say, well, you know, I, I need to live and I need to make a living. And, you know, I don't particularly like my job, but I, I go anyway. And, you know, I provide for my family and so on. But holding that tension 
Then I also find a place for music and art in my life. I carve out a little space where I can do my hobbies and things that I enjoy. And I balance those things out. And while I'm at work, maybe I have an attitude where I try to stay, you know, playful and positive in my, in my mindset and so on. And that's holding that tension. Like I don't necessarily want to be there, but I am there and it's my duty and it, my family needs that, you know, and that's holding the tension in a way that's not holding tension. Like, Ugh! but it's holding the tension, you know, you're in the middle, in the middle. Right. So, you know, do you have anything to add or anything you, you'd yeah, like to talk about um, in terms of that? Yeah. That's very well put. And that, um, you know, in the idea of, of developing a solution, if we're embroiled in this, you know, left to right or, you know, either or conflict, we, you miss the apex. You miss that, that upper part of the triangle uh, because you're, you're so enmeshed in this way. But the interesting thing about a triangle is if both sides would look more, a little more towards the apex instead of at each other and they continue to rise, at some point they're going to connect in this center uh, that where both can be held. And if we are holding them both, um, we are in some other, we're not either here or there. We're somewhere else. We're some, just enough of a space, enough distance that we can maybe look at what's going on. Uh, if you're in it, you can't see what's going on. If you're back from it a little bit uh, and a little bit removed, uh, then you're not quite as involved. And this we do with our consciousness, you know, and, you know, first of all, we have to realize that there is this interplay of opposites. Uh, but psychologically, you know, where this has really its, its danger is that we see ourselves as being, you know, here or not here. Like you're saying, talking about a job. Well, if it's our weight or our finance or uh, our career, uh, we could say, gosh, you know, I don't want to be where I am. I want to be uh, at this other level. Um, or even with our health, uh, I want to be at this different place. And if you're too much in fantasy of where you want to be, oh, the riches, and oh, I'm going to have a big bank account and all that, you're kind of denying where you are, and you might be missing on some of the steps that you need to get there. Uh, on the opposite, if you are so embroiled with where you are, your weight or your um, you know, education or whatever, your relationship status, uh, oh, here it is again, always a bridesmaid, or I'm always single, or just you know, table for one, uh, if you're overly identified with that, either you're missing on out on the goal. So if you're holding them both where I am and where I want to be, uh, there's some real truth to both of them. You're not stuck in fantasy land and you're not embroiled um, so much in where things are now that you're uh, unable uh, to you know, not only move forward, but just to even see the road ahead. So you get some clarity and some perspective um, that you can't get if you're so embroiled in participating in this, uh, this duel. That's fantastic. That's a great, uh, that's a great point. I appreciate you bringing that up like that. Cause I didn't uh, think of it specifically that way. Thank you. Um, so you've been uh, listening to the cosmic eye show. I am your host, Jason Napolitano. I'm the author of if you can worry, you can meditate. And Chris Sheridan is the co-host and he is the author of the spirit and the sky. And we have been speaking about the reconciliation of the opposites today. And so I guess our final maybe thought on, the, on this concept, unless Chris has something to add, might be to say, find that, that balance point between the, between the opposites. 
between the opposites. Find that, that middle ground where you can hold both and hold to both authentically and give them their integrity and their differentiation. But don't allow those two sides to polarize you and dissociate you from reality. And that's where we find the third way or the middle way or the reconciler between this and that or good and evil or right and wrong or male and female or, you know, these gender issues and so on. We've got to find this sort of middle ground where we can connect. And I loved your, your metaphor uh, for, the, uh, for the triangle, you know, between these sort of polarized opposites, maybe there's a higher sort of third solution uh, if you allow yourself to get into that, that mindset. So, you know, balance between those opposites, reconcile those opposites. Uh, thank you for listening. We're here every Sunday with a new show and we appreciate your support. And again, please uh, support us at uh, anchor.fm uh, anchor slash cosmic eye uh, and click on support and you can uh, support us through there. Um, go ahead and, and, and follow us on, uh, on, on YouTube, on iTunes, wherever you, you know, wherever you, you're listening to us. And thank you again for showing up. Thank you, Chris, for being here. You had some great uh, points today. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Always another uh, enjoyable show with you. It's always a pleasure. Uh, have a great week. Goodbye and God bless.